the Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to the Italian Grape Geek Podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of travel and tasting with Italy's must-know grape varietals. Chart your own course with My Italian Grape Geek Journal, your personal tasting companion to accompany the series. Available now on Amazon. With thanks to Colangelo and Partners for their generous support with this project. Ciao, I'm uh, Ciro Pirone. I'm originally from Salerno in Campania, but I live and work uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, here in the U.S. since uh, 1999. I work for a wholesaler here in Massachusetts, representing several Italian wineries from north to south. I've been also an Italian wine ambassador through Vinita, the International Academy, as of 2017. And my job is uh, basically to continue to spread the gospel of Italian wine here in this part of the United States, uh, through a variety of activities. Today, I will be talking about uh, four different grapes. The first one will be Glera. Obviously, Glera probably doesn't need uh, much of an introduction. Is now a world-famous grape uh, behind the making of uh, Prosecco wines. And once upon a time, actually, the grape itself was called Prosecco, but the name was later changed, uh, you know, a little bit to protect the commercial success that uh, Prosecco wines already achieved at that point, but also, and most importantly, a sense of place, which is so important to Italian wines and specifically here, the northeastern part of Italy. Glera is a grape planted throughout uh, the entire region of uh, Friuli, the northeasternmost region of Italy, and also in the majority of Veneto other than the southernmost part, although Conegliano Valdobbiadene is where uh, it finds its most suited uh, terroirs. Glera as a grape is uh, quite productive and it's quite vigorous and has this uh, fairly large bunches with nice round berries that can vary in size, obviously depends on the biotype. A few of the possible challenges that Glera has to grape in the vineyards are, or can affect Glera anyway, are Oidium or Peronospora and also Isca. But obviously, you know, best sites for vineyards um, are slopes with the good inclination and great drainage. And more specifically, the highly regarded areas of Conegliano and Valdobbiadene, as I mentioned before, are considered to be the best terroirs. You know, Conegliano, more specifically, of the two is uh, lower elevation as far as vineyard sites and cooler night conditions. While Valdobbiadene overall has higher elevations, you know, with steeper hillsides and overall warmer conditions. Um, there is to say that most of the wine from Conegliano Valdobbiadene or labeled as such are a blend of fruit coming from both the sides. As far as the wine in the glass, uh, typically, you know, Prosecco uh, and wines made out of Glera have a pale to medium coloration and uh, they have aromas that can vary from apple pear, obviously also white flower, so fairly subdued, not extremely aromatic, but the best expressions showcase a, a beautiful peach aromas, which are very, very intriguing. As far as my experience, I tried, uh, obviously, Prosecco wines uh, and Glera-based wines many, many, many times, really Anytime, you know, Prosecco is a wine that uh, celebrates, you know, the gathering moment. Uh, it's a wine that basically fun, 
joyous, quite enjoyable glass of wine that really you don't need a special occasion for, but truly you can make a special occasion out of it anytime. Understandably, within the world of uh, Glera-based wines and Proseccos, there are many possibilities uh, that vary based on uh, the style. Understandably, these wines can be both brute, which probably is the most uh, commercially available style, extra dry, which obviously refers to the fact there's a little bit more residual sugar left in the wine, and dry, which are even more residual sugar, but at the same time, the least common in the market. There is to say that uh, there are many also different expressions of Glera-made wine based on where they come from, because it's not just about uh, the more generic Prosecco doc, where the fruit can come from anywhere within Friuli or Veneto, but also the interesting and fascinating aspect is the also Rive, which are the single vineyards in the world of uh, Conegliano Valdobbiadene, and most importantly, the grand crew of it all, known as Cartizze. I do love uh, learning about Glera as a great variety because, uh, yes, it is uh, very commercially available. It is quite a bit out there, but it's important to also relay the message to the consumer and people interested in learning about Glera, the fact that it can be quite different based upon where it's planted, other than obviously the style, the residual sugar, and the single vineyard. And so that's something that I found very, very fascinating, and I wanted to learn more and more about. Now, as far as Glera wines, there's a lot available. Most of them that I see in the market, in our market anyway, are wines that uh, are representing you know, a lower price point and the most generic version, probably because they're the easiest to understand for most consumers, probably because they're also the simplest to find and also more accessible when it comes to price point. But there is to say that I, I do see all sorts of Glera wines and Proseccos in every form and shape. Might as well be, like I said, brute, extra dry, in some rare cases dry. And also I see quite a bit the various expressions of single vineyards, which is nice and refreshing as well. In my experience, you know, when it comes to some of the benchmark producers, I would definitely say producers such as Nino Franco, which has been probably one of the pioneers uh, in uh, not only making great Prosecco, but also making great single vineyards expressions. Other producers like Adami, worth of mention, also Casa Canevel, Merotto, and uh, for sure Villa Sandi as well. It's another important house from Conegliano Valdobbiadene. When it comes to food pairings, I think uh, Prosecco is a wine, it's quite versatile, meaning it can be a terrific uh, aperitif wine, so just a glass of wine to have as is. It's great for mixing, obviously, as we all know, for a variety of mixed drinks like, uh, you know, Aperol Spritz or Bellini, Mimosas and things of that nature. But ultimately, it can be a gastronomic wine as we start digging deeper and finding the drier styles and maybe the single vineyard expressions and whatnot. It can be a great wine to enjoy with the shellfish, you know, seafood, things that have a little bit of salty saline quality, definitely maybe oysters and grilled shrimp, also salads, simply, you know, it's a wine really for everyday purpose and for everyday drinking. So I think it's a wine not to underestimate for the possible quality, but definitely got to find the right ones and will impress you for the flavors. Hello, um, Chiro, and I'm back for um, another great variety. And the second one that I had an opportunity to write about and uh, do some research about, it's a very unique variety. It's called Grignolino. Grignolino is found uh, most importantly in Piemonte and uh, more specifically than that in the Monferrato area, which is the southeastern corner of the region of Piemonte, where it's been an historical grape variety for a very long period of time. The origin of the name, it's actually quite interesting. There's 
a couple of different possibilities. One being that uh, it derives from the word grignole, grignole referring to the grinding sound of one's teeth when you bite into the berry because of the extremely high acidity as well as the tannic intensity that are part of the basically genetic DNA of Grignolino. The second uh, possibility of the origin of the name is that it comes from the word Grignola, which basically refers to the high number of pips or seeds that are found in the berries. So obviously there's two. We don't know yet which one is the actual origin of the name. So Grignolino as a grape variety before it went dormant, if you will, as it was quite popular in past centuries. You know, obviously today plantings have decreased and uh, throughout centuries, you know, the wines were very sought after and very appreciated for this beautiful light coloration and great elegance, fantastic drinkability, especially with the richer cuisines. It might be more commonly typical with this uh, parts of Italy. It is a variety that in the vineyards needs uh, lots of sun, so needs great sites with the you know good slopes good inclination obviously good drainage and most specifically because uh, you know obviously here we have a very very high level of acidity high tannins so you need this uh, kind of softening agent which is important uh, for the production of quality grignolino so the more relevant if you will soil types uh, for uh, grignolino to make the best wines are two one would be the sands they're commonly associated with the area of uh, asti and the second one it's one known as a terra bianche which is practically calcareous soils that they're most commonly find in the Alessandria area. Overall, Grignolino is definitely not an easy variety to work with because only tends to produce small quantities and uh, as a small berries, small bunches, and also tends to suffer from uh, asynchronous maturations where some of the berries might ripen before others. So obviously, definitely a bit of a headache. That's why also, you know, producers set it aside in spite of the brilliant past. Overall, it makes wines that have this uh, very, very nice light uh, coloration, almost like tending towards the rosage more than actually red color. And as um, fantastic aromas really bursting through the glass of, uh, you know, strawberries, raspberries, like very, very red, crunchy berry fruit with, uh, again, the quintessential acidity. They almost create a little bit of sourness in the mouth and this uh, very, very vibrating tannic structure, which, again, can be a bit off-putting to some, but at the same time can be fantastically exciting to others and I think also very exciting with the food pairing. As far as uh, my experience with Grignolino, here in our market and a bit in general, is not a variety that is extremely available. I've had the opportunity to taste it randomly. Might as well be when I was in Italy for uh, Five Star Wines or other opportunities when I visited producers you know, that we represent here in Piemonte specifically, although we might not have the wines here. And most currently, I had the opportunity to taste uh, one of the new estates that is making Grignolino called Tenuta Garetto. So again, not something that you find extremely common in the market, but at the same time, it is exciting and definitely refreshing, to say the least, when you get to taste it. So I do love uh, Grignolino every once in a while. I think it's because uh, it does have this, uh, again, a very crunchy, like thirst-quenching type of quality creates lots of freshness in the mouth with its great acidity and also with this dryness that basically cleanses the palate and invites you to have another bite of food. You know, in spite of being a variety that today only represents few hectares of plantings overall in Italy, I love to do some research about it because I think it definitely has, you know, great historical background, has potential great quality. And I think there is an opportunity to 
be more and more available in the market. You know, also I love the fact that in the history, Grignolino basically was what today is Nebbiolo, was one of the most sought after wines, was one of the most expensive wines that people would be willing to pay for. So I think that goes to show that there is potential for quality, although we have to put it in the right place. And today there's less of that because most of the right places are taken by obviously commercially more viable varietals. As far as the Grignolino in the market, or at least in our market, I would say it's definitely not uh, readily available. I do stumble upon some when I go into more, you know, specialized uh, stores or restaurants, which they want one. Definitely, it's a wine that tends to be a bit more seasonal, maybe because of the inner characteristics of high acidity, high tannins, and also the lack of color. But at the same time, it is something that uh, more and more, you know, you can find, get a look for it. And they also, it's up to us that we are specifically in the Italian wine industry to bring them to the limelight, if you will. When it comes to producers that I would uh, say are definitely benchmark, historically definitely been Braida, one of them. Also the Coppo family, a family model Barbera, but they do a nice, nice Grignolino. And definitely I would add the Tenuta Garetto, which is new on the scene, owned by the Gallardo family, which I think they're doing a fantastic job in uh, representing Grignolino. Now, when it comes to food pairing, uh, maybe not the easiest, but at the same time, thanks to such a high level of uh, acidity and tannins, as previously mentioned, I think Grignolino needs, uh, most importantly, meat dishes, and especially meats that have a good amount of fat, like, uh, you know, salumi, you know, a variety of different salumi, salame, soppressata. I think they can be terrific with Gignolino. And also, why not a rich risotto, maybe with mushroom, something of that nature. I think it would be a great, great food pairing. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.